Portland, Blazers Nation. This is Jack Winter, your Portland Trailblazers beat writer with Clutch Points, and this is episode four of Talking Trailblazers. We're recording this episode on glorious Martin Luther King Day, a few hours before the Blazers continue their six-game road trip with a tilt against the Orlando Magic. Now, the last time we recorded, it was hours before the Blazers' home game against Kevin Durant, Kyrie Irving, and the Brooklyn Nets. Portland, believe it or not, is 2-1 since then with, some, with impressive victories over the Nets and Washington Wizards. And honestly, you can go ahead and throw out the Blazers' 140-108 blowout loss to the Denver Nuggets sandwiched in between those games. doesn't really matter. Um, do, doesn't really say anything about this team and where it's going, frankly, uh, because Portland played without not just Damian Lillard, C.J. McCollum, and Norman Powell. But Anthony Simons also missed that game to attend his grandfather's memorial service. It's not exactly shocking that a team with primary guard rotation of Dennis Smith Jr., Ben McLemore, and C.J. Ellaby, uh, certainly no, no disrespect to those guys, uh, but it's you know it's telling that Smith Jr. and McLemore were kind of on the fringes uh, here before this NBA season, and Ellaby's just on the, on, on the very back end of the Blazers' rotation, but it's certainly not surprising that they were blown out on the road by the reigning MVP. But there's been some big news since we last recorded as well, and it's actually something we forecasted on last week's episode, and it's that Damian Lillard underwent surgery for abdominal tendinopathy last Thursday. The Blazers say he'll be reevaluated in six weeks, and Chris Haynes of Yahoo Sports, a close personal friend of Lillard's, initially reported that Dame's potential return to the floor upon full health, of course, would depend on where the Blazers sit in the standings. And Dame later confirmed that intel in, a, in an exclusive interview with Blazers beat reporter Casey Holdall. Obviously, if you've been listening to the show or following my writing, uh, I've been advocating for Dame to have surgery or be shut down for an extended period to regain full health. This is clearly the right decision for the Blazers, both both in the present and in the long term. And the perspective he conveyed in that interview with Holdall is exactly why Dame getting surgery was the right call. Here's what he had to say on his injury and the decision to finally go into the knife. It was something that I've been fighting through, through for the last four years, four and a half years. The reason I was doing that is so I could be part of our team's success, get it done. But the more unhealthy I was, the further that possibility was becoming. I just felt like it was time. Where our team is and where I am health-wise, I felt like it was the time to just do it, swallow my pride, not be so prideful about what was happening right now, and think about the long term. My mind was wanting to do something that my body couldn't. It was a situation where it's been a tough season. I'm not healthy. What is the return on me beating myself up for another year? And then end of the year, what is that going to look like? And now I've got and now I've got to the end of the season, and we're trying to do this at the end of the season. And now I've got to go through the rehab, the recovery, get in shape, train, and all that stuff. And then the season is here again, and there's not really been a physical or mental break. So why not take that opportunity now? Just swallow my pride and play the long game. Maybe add two years to my career instead of taking two off. That was Damian Lillard on the decision to get surgery, and Dame also said that he'd be stepping back from the public eye and even his role with the team to focus fully on rehab and getting both his body and mind right, if you recall. The last 18 months have been very, very tough for Dame, and obviously they've been tough for all of us um, with the pandemic as it, as it continues going on here, but... For Dame personally, it's been especially difficult. <clears throat> but if you're tuning into this podcast, you already know all about, about Dame. His status isn't even the biggest story in Rip City anymore. That distinction, of course, now belongs to Anthony Simons, who's continued staking his claim as a cog of Portland's present and future by playing some eye-popping basketball over the last two weeks. Ant's ongoing development will be the subject of our first segment on this week's show, and we'll get into it right after this quick break. Thanks for listening to Talking Trailblazers. We'll be right back. 
We are back with Talking Trailblazers. This is Jack Winter, your Portland Trailblazers beat writer for Clutch Points. And now I want to spend some time focusing on one of the biggest stories, not just in Portland right now, but basketball in general. And that's Anthony Simon's outstanding play as Portland's lead ball handler over the last two weeks. Now in Simon's last six games, remember all of which have come without Lillard and McCollum, and the last four without Norman Powell as he's in health and safety protocols, Simon's is averaging 28.3 points and 8.2 assists per game. And it's not just to production either. He has been ridiculously efficient over that time frame, shooting 51.3% from the field and a scorching, scorching 45.7% from three on nearly 12 attempts per game. And that proficiency from the on the arc is especially impressive because the vast majority of those tries of those tries from Ant have come off the dribble. According to NBA.com sat NBA.com stats, Simons is taking 6.8 pull-up threes per game since Dame was sidelined again and hitting them at a ridiculous 43.9% clip. But Simons continuing to prove himself as an elite shooter off both the catch and the bounce is obviously hardly surprising for Blazers fans. When he was drafted uh, late in the first round in 2018, that was his biggest strength. We knew that that was going to be a superlative aspect of his game. But what's different now compared to previous seasons or even earlier this year when he was playing better kind of in the first two weeks of the season is how Ant is orchestrating the offense as teams put him at the top of the scouting report and even alter their defensive coverages in real time to take away his pull-up triple. So that improvement has been nothing short of stunning. You can actually see him taking, you can see him taking a couple extra dribbles to string out the defense as two defenders converge on him in ball screen situations, creating better passing angles and extra space for for Yusuf Nurkic on the roll. And that was especially evident against both Brooklyn and Washington when they really amped up their defensive pressure after Ant got red hot from three early. He's just really, really flashing as a passer, showing increased comfort and nuance, uh, whether in pick and Role, we're just making more simple plays for his teammates. In high PNR against Washington, he hit Nurk with a pocket bounce pass as Robert Covington shaked up from the elbow on the weak side of the floor to take that take that low man with him and got Nurkic an easy layup. There was a double drag screen early in the game and uh, Simons took an extra dribble to his left before finding Nurk again, manipulating that backline defender. He threw a lob over the top to Nurk. In the Washington game as well, as Nurk pushed Thomas Gafford to the high side as the ball rotated around the top of the floor, and Ant just hit hit Nurk with a perfectly placed lob over the top that just flowed Nurkic right into the layup. There was another time when the ball swung back to Ant at the top of the key. He tried to see, he tried to drive from center on Rui Hachimara, was cut off, and then he just threw a quick pass to Nasir Little on the right wing, and immediately followed the ball into an impromptu pick and pick and roll for Nas, uh, creating a little bit of space for Nas to get off that patented two-foot floater that he likes going to his left. And then there was another time where Ant went back door on Denny Avdia when he was being overplayed on the wing. He caught a bounce pass on the move and then left and then left a pass for Nurk as the shot block as the shot blocker came over to contest him at the rim. Like <clears throat> Simons is just making the simple plays and he's doing it over and over. When there's two to the ball, he's finding the roller. As the weak side defender is cheating toward the nail in ball screen situations, he's taking an extra dribble to string out the defense before finding the roller. He's, he's making quick decisions, but showing patience and not getting rushed. And that was especially evident from a two-possession sequence from the, I think it was the second quarter against Washington, and it, and it really encapsulated just the way he's thinking the game and reading the game on the fly. 
Washington was overplaying a center dribble handoff, and instead of following it um, and, and using that dribble handoff, and immediately cut back door, got a bounce pass from Nurk, and finished through contact for a nice and one as the low man was a half step late. And then on the following possession, the exact same action. And again, went back door with Washington overplaying the dribble handoff. But the low man was there early after realizing it was happening in the last play. So Ant caught the ball and immediately kicked to the weak corner where the low man had just vacated. Eventually getting a hockey assist after one more swing to Robert Covington allowed Cove to attack, attack the rim for a closeout layup. Again, Ants is just making the simple plays, and he's been doing it consistently, and it's just been so, so impressive. Who better to explain that than Chauncey Billups, though? Here's what the Blazers' rookie head coach had to say about Simons exploiting double teams after the Wizards game. I love his patience in the double teams, you know, and I told him, so you made a couple shots, Wizards in time, I said, they, they, they're going to start doubling you to get the ball out your hands. And he just did a good job of, of sometimes he got it out quick, Sometimes he dragged the defense a little bit, giving Nurk the chance to get his feet set through it there. Um, man, I, I, I thought Ant did just a really good job of reading reading the game. Now, what Chauncey's really focusing on there is Ant as a pick and roll ball handler, how he was reading the game in that capacity, um, and that's and that's really what has been so eye opening about how high his ceiling might be as a primary ball handler. Uh, and that's not just recently either. All season, Ant has really, really made a lot of progress as a pick and roll operator. According to NBA.com stats, Simons ranks in the 93rd percentile among all pick and roll ball handlers this season by scoring 1.07 points per possession. That's better than Lillard. It's better than McCollum. It's better than Powell, all of whom have been quite efficient in their own regard as ball screen operators. But it's not just that. And isn't just better than his veteran teammates. In fact, his 1.07 points scored on, excuse me, 1.07 points per possession scored on pick and rolls ranks first in the league. Again, I'm going to repeat that. First in the league among all players who average at least four ball screens per game. He shoot his 56.3 effective field goal percentage, and that accounts for the extra value of threes, is third in the league among, high, among all high-usage pick-and-roll ball handlers. And unsurprisingly... Simons has been the Blazers' singular offensive engine over the last two weeks, much like Lillard's been for the last half decade. He, Simons' 119.5 offensive rating in the last six games is an easy team high and three points better than the Utah Jazz league-leading offensive rating. That's very impressive. But just as telling of his overall impact is that Portland's offensive rating with and off the floor is a putrid hideous 101.7 and that's nearly six points lower than his nearest teammates and that happens to be Nurkic but it's not remember it's not just the per game numbers with Simons anymore his incredible blend of production and efficiency is having a major effect on the Blazers the question now and we'll start to find out tonight against the Magic is how Simons will respond as Portland's veteran guards get healthy CJ McCollum is returning from a six-week absence due to that collapsed right lung against Orlando and Powell is even questionable to questionable to play as he ramps back up uh, from from being diagnosed with COVID. Now, Bill said he doesn't want Ant's role to change once those guys get back in the lineup, but it's inevitable that the addition of two high-usage guards will cut into Simon's responsibilities as a lead ball handler. 
It's just absolutely paramount for Simon's continued development that the Blazers make him a central cog of the offense for the season's remainder, no matter who is available. And even admitted after the Brooklyn game that his new role and extra reps in the ball have been a major catalyst behind his breakout performance. Let's go to that audio. I'm just, you know, seeing the seeing the plays. You know, I obviously have the ball a lot in my hands, so I'm able to feel the game out, you know, a lot more. Um, you know, when I kind of come off the bench, I, you know, kind of come come in right away and, and be on an attack um, trying to score. But now I can take my time, you know, read the defense, pass it a couple of times, then go look to score, then kind of just play the game, you know, much for a longer stretch of time. So um, it's been good. Obviously, I watched a lot of film with, with Coach Hess and, um, you know, he always talk about what I can do better and um, the, the, the plays I can see. So, um, you know, I think, you know, I can only get better from here. There's not much sense in analyzing the Blazers' chances to make a late-season push to avoid the play-in tournament, at least until Lillard is healthy enough to play, and that won't be until March, the absolute earliest. But regardless, Simon's development needs to be the play- needs to be the Blazers' utmost priority, even if that means taking the ball out of C.J. McCollum's hands and letting Ant grow through inevitable struggles. You know, he's not going to shoot 45% or whatever it was on pull-up threes uh, for the rest of the season. Um, but, he's, but he's shown over the last two weeks that even when his shot is and falling like it was against Brooklyn and Washington after after really scorching starts that he was still able to affect the game. Uh, now tonight's game against Orlando will be a preview of how Billups will manage that balancing act between Simons, McCollum, and Powell uh, tonight and then just over the season's remainder as well. And here's hoping that Portland understands that Simon's progress correlates directly with his much increased role of late and it wasn't available to him with this team fully healthy. For now, Let's take another break before getting back into the challenges awaiting the Blazers at the trade deadline. We will be right back. All right. We are back. This is Talking Trailblazers, and I'm Jack Winter. For this last part of the show, I want to take a look at why the Blazers' efforts to retool before the trade deadline aren't nearly as simple as just moving incumbent players for those of a similar caliber. Remember, rebuilding is not what Joe Cronin wants to do. His goal for the Blazers is to retool on the fly, shuffling the pieces around Damian Lillard to maximize Portland's chances of competing at the highest level as soon as next season. And frankly, I think he'd like to stay competitive this season as well if, if Dame comes back um, and is healthy enough to play after, after completing his rehab sometime in March. But <clears throat> the Blazers' most significant and obvious trade pieces are Robert Covington, Yusuf Nurkic, and C.J. McCollum. Covington is a free agent after this season and would be attractive to most every team in the league given the scarcity of playoff caliber wings. He's obviously not the player who Portland traded a pair of first-round picks for before last season, but he still offers enough as an ultra-disruptive help defender and opportunistic three-point shooter to good to be in a good team's postseason rotation. And in that vein, his uh, much improved performance since coming off the bench, um, whether as a help defender on the back line, uh, digging in, digging in from the nail, uh, not just, not just taking and making open threes, but, but attacking closeouts uh, with one or two dribbles and then finishing at the rim or, or leaving the ball for a, uh, for a big man at the rim. That's all been really encouraging and no doubt, has upped his trade value at least a little bit um, as compared to when before he was benched when he was really struggling and honestly looked a little washed. Uh, He certainly has more value, more value now than he did then. 
Now, Nurkic is a free agent after this season too, but unlike Covington, he doesn't have the inherent value on he doesn't have inherent value on the trade market due to his position and overall lack of two-way versatility. Centers better than Nurk can get played off the floor in the postseason, as elite teams put their best players on the floor by going small. And as solid as he's been offensively of late. Nurkic is hardly capable of exploiting size mismatches on the block, at least consistently enough to keep him on the court against teams who space the floor, pressure the rim, and really seek out switches with superstar wings. McCollum is a far different type of trade piece than both Covington and Nurkic. With two years and some $70 million, man, $70 million left on that contract, thank you Neil O'Shea, McCollum would be somewhat hard to trade simply due to salary matching purposes alone. But a shooting guard who subsists on jumpers doesn't really get to the rim and is below average at best defensively uh, with really limited scheme versatility against top competition would have a relatively limited market anyway. CJ's exorbitant contract just makes him that much more difficult to trade, especially considering teams interested in him interested in him are likely to be very expensive to begin with. All of that begs the question. Just what could the Blazers get in return for Covington, Nurkic, or McCollum that makes them a better team now and in the future? Any first-round pick that could be headed Portland's way in a deal for Covington or McCollum would no doubt be of lower value in the mid-20s or so, or be highly protected. Challenge trades that involve player-for-player swaps aren't all that feasible for the Blazers either. Who could Covington net in a trade that would be better than him, for instance? The same goes for Nurkic, but to an even greater extent. Teams won't want the obligation of paying him in free agency, yet another reason why offers for Nurkic and Covington could come in lower than what Portland wants. Those guys could very well just be half-season rentals for whatever team trades for them. Perhaps McCollum could fetch the best return if a guard-needy team fell in love with the hit with what he had to offer. But again, the hurdles of salary matching and the likely reality of an iffy prospect and middling first-round pick coming back to the Blazers probably wouldn't be considered a win for this front office in the first place. My position on this has been clear from the very beginning. Portland needs to do everything it can to move McCollum for both additional future financial flexibility and clearing a path for Simons and the team's offensive hierarchy, like we discussed in the first part of the show. Covington should be relatively easy to move as well, as long as the Blazers don't have too high an asking price for him. But threading the needle of reshuffling the roster while staying competitive next season and brightening Portland's long-term future will be very, very tough for the front office. Big-name trade targets like Miles Turner or Jeremy Grant almost surely won't be available to the Blazers at the deadline unless they make Simons or Nasir Little available. And let's be honest, it would be crazy for the Blazers to trade in for any Simons right now unless they were absolutely blown away by an offer of you know multiple high-value first-round picks and perhaps a prospect. His, his value is that high right now. That's how good he's been over the last two weeks. So if you're expecting a splash of that magnitude from the Blazers at the trade deadline, a, a Grant or Turner type, you'll probably be disappointed. Now, the good news is that Portland has the offseason to continue remaking the roster, and that could be made easier by the presence of you know, perhaps a mid-lottery pick, um, unless Simons proves so good that you know, he makes the Blazers a little too competitive over the season's remainder, um, or Lillard comes back and they make that late-season push for the playoffs. 
but retooling around Lillard just in general. Retooling around Lillard rather than rebuilding from the ground up sorely limits Cronin's flexibility as he looks to maximize value for the Blazers' proven incumbent players. And as much as Simon's breakout gives him another roadmap from here, Portland's situation at the trade deadline is still far more complicated than pretty much anyone wants to admit. It's not just going to be moving Covington or Nurkic or McCollum for players of a similar caliber but who play different styles. That's just not how the NBA works, unfortunately, for the Blazers, especially with Covington and Nurkic free agents and given McCollum's exorbitant contract. Now, we'll know a lot more about what all that means for the Blazers as the February 10th trade deadline draws nearer and nearer. But for now, that's going to be it for this episode of Talking Trailblazers. You can follow all of my work on the Blazers at Clutch Points and find me on Twitter at Armstrong Winter. Happy MLK Day. Enjoy the week and stay healthy out there.